Welcome to another episode of the Deborah Health Report, where we dive into current health and medical topics to keep the Delaware Valley informed and updated. The conversation continues this month with interventional cardiologist Dr. Courtney Crathen about taking charge of your heart health. Here's Rasa Kay. Hi, I'm Rasa Kay, and I'm talking with Dr. Courtney Crathen. She's an interventional cardiologist and is board certified in cardiovascular disease and nuclear cardiology. She spends a lot of time in the cath lab at Deborah Heart and Lung Center, guiding catheters through veins and arteries to detect and treat disease. However, she's happily sharing her tips to keep you out of her lab. We continue our talk here on treating the whole patient, maintaining your heart health. Factors that people should consider when they're weighing their own risk for heart disease. Right. First, take a look at your family. If you have family members, specifically first-degree family members, mother or father who had early coronary artery disease, meaning blockages that were found before the age of 55, this is probably the strongest risk factor. And if you have this in your family, you should be seen by a cardiologist for a thorough history and physical. You should have an EKG performed, and the conversation should be had as to whether a baseline stress test on the treadmill should be done for you, because this is the strongest risk factor. What kind of age are we talking about to have this done? If you're younger than 35, I mean, the risk of having a massive heart attack at that age is is low. It's not zero, but it's low. Um, But if you're 35 to 50, that's the range where we really should get you in for fasting labs. You should get an EKG. You should be ta- you should talk to a cardiologist about you know your day to day life and be referred for a treadmill stress test as a screen for coronary disease. I think you know a lot of times patients who don't have a strong family history, maybe you've been a non smoker your whole life and you really don't have a lot to talk about with a doctor. It's hard to make that initial phone call. It's hard to say, hey, can you just check me out? Um, but there's a big importance to checking um, your labs in a fasting state, at least initially when you meet a practitioner. And what that means is getting your cholesterol checked, checking your hemoglobin A1C, which is a three-month average of your blood sugar, um, you know, getting a once-through of your electrolytes and your kidney function, and kind of cluing you in as to if there's something that needs to be trended or if you're in a normal range and you need to continue what you're doing at home, or if you're borderline and you need to change your lifestyle and revisit the labs in six months. And that can kind of get you in the game. Um, You know, getting fasting labs, getting a baseline EKG, which is an electrical picture of your heart. Um, You know, starting at an early age in your 30s, I think this is so important. And just talking with the doctor about your lifestyle habits because some things that you may not think are uh, modifiable are modifiable. So the ways you can prevent burden on the heart, one of them is is a healthier diet. How does diet connect to cardiac issues and what's the preferred diet these days? Because boy, we have, it seemed like before the pandemic, (laughs) we would have a new diet crazy every year. We had a million, yeah. Uh, But now that's kind of gone by the wayside. So really what's our thinking now in terms of the best way to eat for a healthy heart? And and when do you start that? Can, Can you sort of catch up or can kids indulge more than older people? How does it work? I'll say it's hard to catch up. It's also hard to change uh, a mindset (laughs) that's been ingrained in children. I say it's never too early to start a heart-healthy lifestyle. The best heart-healthy diet is going to be rich in uh, fresh fruits and vegetables and lean meats, certainly limiting the red meat. You know, I would would stay away from the extreme diets, uh, certainly. The best diet to date is actually the DASH diet. 
So that's going to be the most heart healthy. And actually that has some implications for your blood pressure. It actually has been shown to lower your systolic and diastolic blood pressure pretty reliably over multiple years of studies. The DASH diet is a diet that is really rich in uh, legumes, fishes. They want you to eat a lot of whole grains and uh, stay away from like heavy breads, like white breads, the white pastas. Definitely limit your red meat intake. If you encourage, you know, low sodium, low cholesterol, fresh fruits and vegetables and lean meats, uh, you're going to really be instilling in our youth the best future of heart health. The earlier, the better. Now, once you get a little older, the whole French way of eating with the fermented cheeses and the red wine. Boy, did that give us hope some years ago. How's that looking? Right, so I would stay away from cheese. Cheeses have a lot of cholesterol in them. It is true that red wine is heart healthy. And what I mean by that is four ounces of red wine, which is in moderation. You can have four ounces of red wine a day. That's uh, heart healthy. But I'm not talking about a goblet of wine. talking about multiple cheeses with a bottle of wine. It's, it's really meant to be strictly done in moderation, but it is. it does improve cholesterol numbers, uh, specifically your HDL, your good cholesterol. So yes, that is true. Four ounces. That's the Dixie cup in the bathroom. <laughs> That's what that is. Sleep and heart yeah. health. Sleep is so important. It's probably the hardest risk factor to modify, uh, especially from a cardiologist standpoint. Oftentimes the big thing that's hindering us is obstructive sleep apnea, which is an independent risk factor for stroke and heart attack. The treatment for obstructive sleep apnea is CPAP therapy, which is cumbersome. It requires the patient to sleep with uh, a face mask on. Um, And basically it gives you positive pressure so that you're not lacking oxygen throughout the night. Sleep though, getting a good solid six to eight hours of sleep is so important. It's when your body resets. It's when all the sympathetic stimulation to your heart is resting and your heart isn't getting these signals from either the stress level or your blood pressure being high or you know the factors from your environment. It's not getting overloaded with those signals. So I know it's difficult to do, but sleep is, is a very important risk factor that everybody should try and improve to the best of their ability. So supporting it with sleep aids, melatonin, sleep is sleep, right? Sleep is sleep. I would try and stick with the more natural supplements like you alluded to, melatonin. Keeping in mind that melatonin takes uh, a couple days to go into effect, but melatonin is a natural, it's a natural supplement you can take and kind of gets your body into a circadian rhythm, so to speak, or helps it kind of identify the circadian rhythm so that you, you can get to sleep a little bit easier. Teeth, yeah. your, your jawbone's connected to your heart muscle. I mean, teeth and, and heart health. Oral hygiene is so important. Um, it's, it's kind of uh, not well known, but your gums are a direct uh, way into your bloodstream. And your blood circulates through your heart multiple times a day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So uh, maintaining good oral hygiene and not letting, for lack of better term, bugs into your gums and into your bloodstream is gonna be uh, the best for your heart. So we talked about the melatonin to help you sleep. Are there supplements that have a direct healthy impact on the heart? There's not very many over-the-counter supplements that I would recommend on a day-to-day basis. I think the best bang for your buck is going to be to watch your blood pressure, control your cholesterol, monitor risk factors like that. Coenzyme Q10 has been shown to help 
decreased prevalence of heart disease. But uh, in terms of the other supplements, there's not very many that I would recommend. I would stick to, to the risk factor reduction. In the last year, there have been some shifting recommendations on that daily low-dose aspirin. So what's, <clears throat> what's the latest thinking on that? Yeah, I think this is very important because uh, in the olden days, so to speak, everyone would say they'd go to their primary doctor and their primary care physician or their family physician would say, hey, just take an aspirin just to prevent a heart attack, just to be safe. Research has shown we've gotten away from that recommendation and research has shown that we only start a baby aspirin, which is 81 milligrams, if a patient has documented coronary artery disease, which is plaque in the arteries that surround the heart. Um, aspirin is not a benign medication. It's a an antiplatelet medicine and it can thin the lining of the stomach and when taken in combination with other medicines such as NSAIDs or uh, other pain relievers it can actually cause a very big GI bleed. So aspirin is not benign and you really should be on aspirin only if you have documented coronary artery disease. Define what is documented. If you have certainly an abnormal stress test and you're waiting to, for a cardiac catheterization that's an indication to start an aspirin. Or if you've had a cardiac catheterization and they find that there are blockages in the heart arteries themselves. Certainly if you've had a stent or bypass surgery, that goes without saying that you have coronary artery disease, but um, it has to either be visually seen on angiography, which is a coronary angiogram, or uh, if you're awaiting cath to go to the cath lab and you have an abnormal stress test, you can start that prophylactically safely as well. Short of a stress test, life is stress. So how does just day-to-day -day stress, or, you know, I mean, we all get our deadlines. We, we have even happy stress, you know, the wedding that you're planning or the wedding that gets called off because of the pandemic. Oh, whatever. Um, you know, it, it's been a time, hasn't it? How does stress impact the heart? Stress impacts the heart in ways that I'm not sure we're fully aware of yet. Uh, stress has a huge impact on the heart. Stress makes your blood pressure go up, it makes your pulse go up. It basically makes the work your heart has to do all day, it, it increases that workload for the heart. So again, stress is very difficult to uh, curbside sometimes, sometimes it's impossible, sometimes stress is intertwined in our jobs, in our, in our family life, and we can't necessarily stop that stress, but just finding outlets throughout the day that de-stress you, whether it's uh, sh turning the lights off and doing some quiet yoga or meditation, uh, I think that's very, very important. It's definitely you know underutilized in the community, but we need to identify stressors and eliminate as many as we can. Are there new treatments in heart care, recent? during the pandemic, because life does go on, even though COVID seems to be the only thing we talk about, that have you kind of jazzed about the future of treating heart disease? Yeah, I think there's been a lot of advances recently, specifically in the field of um, structural heart disease. Um, we've had a lot of advances in percutaneously changing heart valves, uh, as well as robotic uh, bypass surgery. We've also had a lot of advances in percutaneous closure of you know, ASD and PFO, um, disease. Uh, so there's been a lot of advances that I think, you know, kind of took a back seat in the pandemic, but now we're kind of getting back up and, and uh, you know, implementing these again. But there's, there's a lot of very, very cool new treatments on the horizon. ASD and PFO? 
atrial septal defect and uh, patent foramen ovale. It, they're both congenital disorders where they're basically during uh, embryology there are holes that are left in the heart and uh, later on in life um, we, we decide whether they need to be closed or not. Historically that's been an open heart surgery but we've had advances in the recent years um, as to doing it percutaneously now. So on, on my notes here I wrote but, but, but in your bio at the Deborah website, you talk about the things you tell your patients to keep them out of your cath lab. So how do yes. you want to um, talk yourself out of business here, doctor? So ironically, I'm an interventional cardiologist, but one of my passions is preventative cardiology and keeping them out of the cath lab, <laughs> making it so that we modify those risk factors and keep them tip-top shape so that we don't have to meet you, uh, you know, under the spotlight, so to speak. I certainly think there's a role for the cath lab, of course. I mean, when somebody has a heart attack, we have to open up the heart artery and, and reperfuse. But I think there's an art to keeping somebody out of the cath lab as well. And I think that's a very important art that starts with your primary care physician or your family doctor and it's continued with your cardiology appointments. So that's what I really do have a passion for and I think patients need to take ownership of that to at home and uh, you know help us as as healthcare providers you know give them the best tools to to keep them out of an emergency situation. Should we always strive to make the lifestyle changes, to live that life, to avoid all of these great meds and procedures if we can? I think always we should be striving to, you know, avoid regular routine visits to specialists. With that being said, sometimes it's unavoidable and uh, we're here for you. We, we support you. We're, we're here to help you. But I think if there's things you can do outside the hospital, outside of the office visit to help those risk factors and, and minimize things, uh, certainly. I mean, that those should be stressed on a almost daily basis, you know, with the patient at home. Okay, so I'm going to say we can revisit those New Year's resolutions that seemed like it wasn't worth the effort mm -hmm. a month ago. So if you were to, to have three things as your top three resolutions for your heart health, I think reducing salt in your diet is very important and relevant nowadays. Uh, I think number two should be uh, increasing your regular aerobic physical activity, uh, meaning getting at least 20 minutes three to five times a weekend, and that means having your heart having your heart rate increase for 20 minutes consecutively three to five times a week. And then I think the third thing should be um, reducing your red meat as much as you can, your red meat intake. Okay, if we want to find out more about heart health, where can we get that information? You can visit the American Heart Association or our website here at Deborah. Go to demanddeborah.org and we can help you answer all of your cardiovascular questions. And that was interventional cardiologist Dr. Courtney Crathen at Deborah Heart and Lung Center. We'll have more medical information and insights from Deborah Heart and Lung Center in our next podcast. It drops the first Wednesday of the month. I'm Rasa Kay. You can always listen to all of the informative Deborah Doctor interviews at DeborahHealthReport.com. Schedule an appointment at DemandDeborah.org.